Hello and welcome to the Being and Becoming podcast. My name is Logan Hauer. I'm joined today by Austin Sohn and Patrick Dyer for a very special conclusion to the book that we've been reading for, it feels like forever now, but it's been six months of this podcast. We've been chipping away at this book, but most of you probably don't know, but we started reading the book originally in January of 2022. So it's been about a year and a half of us just slowly when we have time meeting and discussing this book and we finally concluded it. So thank you guys so much for joining me and just want to turn it over to you real quick to see how you're doing and maybe get some initial thoughts. Good evening. Good morning. However you're listening. Yeah, I, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm glad we're here. I've really enjoyed um, the thoughts that we can have about this book and I'm excited to wrap it up and I'm looking forward to our future conversation. As am I, lots of fruitful discussion has come from this and I've really enjoyed it. It's definitely helped improve my day-to-day life as well. So good Great. stuff. Yeah. And I, should, I should mention that uh, today we'll be discussing chapter 12, pet a cat when you encounter one on the street from 12 rules for life an antidote for chaos by Jordan Peterson. We may also talk about the coda a little bit. That was at the end of the book after chapter 12, which I thought was uh, really interesting. Having trouble remembering a lot from the coda as I didn't take very good notes on it. But um, I thought the title we can at least admit is pretty funny. He ends on a humorous note as far as the title is concerned but really the depth of the content within this chapter is some of the most intense i'd imagine for him personally what he's relaying and for the listener at home jordan is predominantly talking about his daughter and her various health complications and the toll that that takes on her and the family the amount of suffering that they all endure um very moving but also sad you don't wish that upon any any person and we've been fortunate to be the three of us to be in good health and come from relatively healthy families as well uh with obviously some exceptions but yeah I, i don't know if you guys had any any thoughts on his daughter and all the different treatments she had to undergo and Pat, I mean, I'm looking at you. You have the the medical background. I wasn't sure if you could relate to any any of those sorts of procedures or frustrations. Probably no more than any reader would understand. Just he did a good job explaining her suffering. hmm. It sounds like autoimmune disorders are really hard to figure out. Oh, absolutely. That was the impression I got as well. Don't get me started on these. (laughs) Don't get me started on these. On what, autoimmune disorders? Yeah, I've just a side note, I suppose. Um, Been seeing so many things about them online recently. Did a little bit of research, of course, through school. And a lot of it, coincidentally, that we learned, similar to Jordan and his daughter's experience, is truly diet-related which is fascinating. Huh. Yeah. But it's different depending on the person, right? Mm, hardly. Really? Hardly. Yeah. Okay. I mean, What's... everyone's experience is different, but the amount of anecdotal and just, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess the amount of antidotes there are and for people is the same. People are claiming the same things and, Whatnot. Is it eating better in general or eating less of a certain type of food? Definitely both. Yeah. Most people from whom I've talked to and then read and then watched as well, it seem really to not demonize carbohydrates, but say usually the more they limit processed things, the better their autoimmune conditions got. Hmm. And there's a solid connection there. So there's probably some good evidence for that. I've heard that a lot too, Patrick, but I haven't really heard much of a distinction between processed carbs 
and like non-processed carbs. I just hear a lot of people say, just cut out carbs. But like, is it worth making that distinction? Like, let's do less kind of more, I don't know, go to your local bakery and try to get more fresh. Can you get non-processed carbs more easily? And is that, wor is that worth trying out? Is that a helpful distinction to make? Unfortunately, I'm not an expert on that, but yeah, I mean, a non-processed carb would be like fruit or a vegetable, but that being said, a lot of people with autoimmune diseases like this juvenile arthritis that they're describing, uh, vegetables are a no-go. A lot of fruits are no-goes, but um, one thing that's probably person by person is whether it's they're reacting to the pesticides on the vegetables or fruits, or if it's the GMO aspect that's causing issues, or if is it truly the carbohydrate itself? Seems like so, there's a lot that could be going wrong. Quite a few so, variables. Yeah, absolutely. So much, so much. Yeah. The GMO thing became a talking point publicly while we were either late high school or college. And at first I, you know, I'm like, I like eating Cheetos. I like blah, 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 all that processed stuff. I don't really care for, but when you really think about it and you look at the labels on the food you're eating, it's, it's quite a different story. Yeah. It's not good for you. That's for sure. Unfortunately, the pesticide thing is troubling as well, but very, yeah. How is our food getting made and processed and delivered to us? It's, it's one of those things I had a conversation recently where I wondered if maybe economies of scale isn't always a good thing. Basically, the more you can make of something, the cheaper it becomes. But especially with farming, I was wondering maybe that shouldn't be something we're doing. Maybe we shouldn't be trying to get as much out of the chicken by genetically modifying it so that it has larger you know, body parts or meat or whatnot, so we can process it quicker. And I I listened to an interesting podcast talking about the philosophy on the way we treat animals. And it's odd being raised for slaughter, if you're an animal. But also, maybe we could do a more humane job of not just keeping them in these terrible conditions and you know raising them as cheap as we can just to feed you know so many people a low quality product i don't know but those are some thoughts i've been kicking around recently i it always seems like a good thing to me to localize your economy and to support your neighbors um i don't want to get too hate the rich when it comes to trying to cut out all corporations. But I, I think I tend to lean that way, um, especially like you said, with something that's organic, you know, that's like a an animal. Yeah, the thing is, I think cost is so alluring. How How cheap can we get the thing that we desire? And I think we have to maybe deny or maybe delay. Uh, yeah, probably deny that impulse of I need it as cheap as I can get it and, you know, have the quality be passable. You know, I don't, I don't know if that's a good way to be thinking about food in particular. But also, I'm a guy that eats fast food and eats junk food. And so, um I definitely don't have the most disciplined dietary habits, but it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm at least starting to think about it a little bit more and kind of tying back into the chapter. I think I was just alluding or talking about the suffering of animals. One of the themes in this book that I resonated strongly with was suffering in the world, suffering of the individual what responsibility, what action can we take in order to right some of that wrong or injustice? 
or create order by taking on responsibility and therefore hopefully reducing suffering in ourselves or in the people around us. If we can take care of our own self, then maybe we can start taking care of other things or the world or what have you. So um, that was one of my big takeaways, I think, from the book in general. And I think he talks about that again uh, in the code, I believe, after chapter 12. But I wasn't sure if you guys had anything that having read this book, you're excited to take away. And um, Pat, you said up top that this book's already been, or these conversations and reading this book have been helping you in your life. I wasn't sure if you could maybe speak to that more. Uh, I suppose I can. It wouldn't, I guess, necessarily relate to the chapter, but um, for example, like rule seven, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. That's definitely helped uh, just strengthen day-to-day life in trying to align myself to a higher good by not being a slave to my desires and recognizing that that's what that is and that it's something that needs to be fought and even though it's hard it's good so patrick i've noticed you've always gravitated this is an understatement you've always gravitated towards the proverb yeah isn't that yeah (laughs) and just being able to like you have quite a few of those rules off the top of your head is it kind Mm -hmm. of a similar thing have you found Oh, great point. I hadn't thought about it like that, but yeah, I suppose it kind of is. Yeah. Just these little one sentence things definitely stick well in my head. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about your temperament or your personality that gravitates towards that wisdom. I want to find a better word, but just like these moral weapons or these doses of life that probably help you in your day-to-day mm-hmm. yeah that's well said i'd agree austin th- was there anything in particular you related well yikes you related to throughout this book or in this chapter specifically as well because we've uh hardly touched it but i had a really interesting experience because while i was reading this last chapter I was listening to a Bible project podcast and I really been enjoying going through a lot of their episodes. And I listened to one kind of series they did on the wisdom literature and they kind of broke it down with Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Job. And they kind of treated them as like characters. And they really looked at how those three books interacted with each other. Um, and they kind of personified them and did like this thought experiment that if they were in a bar, you know, talking together, what would their character be like? And how it, if you sat down with them, what kind of things would they each say to you? And Proverbs, um, I think they personify her as like a woman, wisdom, you know, very optimistic and if you do this you'll get this kind of thing and then when you're talking to Ecclesiastes he's very pessimistic and he's very in touch with the suffering and maybe even the meaningless or kind of like the vapor-esque-ness of life how it's you think it's here but it's not really here you know and then Job like like and then Job is just this person who just he's like yeah well, Proverbs didn't really work for me. <laughs> and he probably resonates with the pessimism <laughs> of Ecclesiastes. But still, you know, man, what a wild ride reading Job is. Because he, you know, he experiences this meaningless, seemingly meaningless suffering. And then he doesn't curse God, but then he kind of does. He gets in kind of trouble for that. Has this long conversations with his friends. And then he finally is like, okay, after God kind of speaks back to him and is humbled and, is, and doesn't even get explained why he suffered. But he has a 
better perspective, which it ultimately is wisdom in itself, understanding that God is greater, that God is the one that's making stuff work, and we're just not going to be able to understand all of it. Hmm. That was a long yeah. explanation to say, this 12th chapter really reminds me of Ecclesiastes. Um, That's beautiful, actually. There is suffering in this life. And Peterson brings up, it sounded like this autoimmune disorder journey with his daughter. And I know he has stuff, too. It's long and arduous. And, and he's talked before. Like, it is logical to say that... You can find no purpose in this life, but um, that's not beneficial for you to do that. He's like, logically, sure. We're in this pluralistic society where you could find everything to be meaningless. But I think he's thinking that's not advantageous because look at what happens when that happens. And throughout this book, he's pointed to things like Mao's revolution in China and how communism caused a lot of suffering and also like the Columbine shooters how you can logically make the step that everything's meaningless but that's not advantageous so what are we left with how do we find purpose how do we find meaning in so much suffering um and I think it was a good way for him to end his book yeah it's funny you bring up the pluralistic society or viewpoint because I thought that that was one of the either narratives or truths he was trying to drill through the entire book was yes this could very well be true this very well could be a way of viewing the world and maybe it's more likely than not correct however you're negating all of human history and going back to the starting point because that's where everybody started was that anything can be true and everything's a war and we're tribal and we've been working slowly Maybe ineffectively, you could argue, but towards somewhat of a better defined truth, just to have it reduced back to, to what it was originally was kind of the way um, I took some of what he was saying. And like you said, he uses Mao as an example of when you have someone that's trying to create um, like the equality uh, for all people, the utopia, I guess you could say, there could be some ill in- intention behind that, and you have to be on your guard for that in your own personal life because it doesn't happen just overnight. There's a process and of giving up control to your to whoever, um, and it reminds me of Animal Farm a little bit too. That George Orwell story. But I think um, one of my takeaways from the book comes from the the story with wanting, what petting a cat means. And the way I, I understood it from what he was saying was a different way of saying, take time to stop and smell the roses. But he the way he phrased that was that the cat chooses to interact with the human it seeks out the human whereas a dog always wants to be around but a cat chooses when they come to approach the human so it's like it's a meaningful choice of on their part to like engage and i thought that that was a really interesting way to phrase maybe it could be our outlook with the world to to stop and willingly engage you know we're not always gonna just be easygoing out there in the nature you know whatnot but when we do we can be meaningful and 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 intentional about it and um to kind of illustrate this point i think i'm being a little verbose but to illustrate this point i had a story that i wanted to share that happened to me recently where I was actually in the wrong. I was the person that I was the Pharisee. You know, I was the guy walking past someone in need of help on the side of the road because I was too busy and I had X, Y, and Z to do. And um, I've told you guys both, but my wife and I have just moved up to her home town area of Fort Wayne. 
And so there's one day where I had to go to the post office to drop something off in the mail and just had a lot on my mind. Uh, I decided to work, walk there on my lunch break at work and on the walk back, you know, I still just, I'm thinking of all these things I have to do at work and then at home. And I hear someone calling out to me, sir, sir, please stop, please stop, please help. And I am in no mood. I'm just totally in my head. You know, my line of vision is just focused straight down, straight ahead. And I very rudely and bluntly say, I don't have any money, but it doesn't sound that nice. It was, it sounded more mean, but I said, I don't have any money as a, as in, I thought I knew what this person needed or was trying to get from me without actually taking the time to assess the situation. And I kept going for a couple more paces. And then uh, there was a desperation in his voice that I started to hear as he kept pleading or calling to me. So then I stopped and I knew I had to make a decision if I was going to be every bad guy that <laughs> that we read and in stories and and archetypes and whatnot, or if I was going to try to step into this moment with this guy and figure out what he needed and trust my judgment to know if he was deceiving me or, or manipulating me or whatnot. So I went up to him and talked with him for a minute. It was very sincere. He just needed to borrow a phone because he's from, ended up being from Chad, uh, the country in Africa. And he made a quick call, left a voicemail with someone. And then him and I spoke for a minute. I could tell he was pretty overwhelmed and his bad day was much worse than the bad day that I thought I was having. <laughs> and um, he had to flee his home country and had converted to Christianity, uh, but lived in a Muslim family. So had to flee. At least that's what he told me. I don't know if, again, if this is true, but I'll take him at his word because he seemed trustworthy. But um, I ended up getting his number on WhatsApp and yeah, he sufficiently humbled me and um, blessed me and was very nice to me, despite me not being very nice to him initially. But we still kind of keep in contact a little bit. This happened a couple weeks ago. But um, just when I think of uh, petting a cat or whatever the title of the chapter is, of just stopping what you're doing. And taking time to get perspective, to interact with someone else, to, you know, build a connection no matter how small it seems. That's kind of what I think of when I think of the chapter and what he's trying to articulate or trying to write about in the book. Um, yeah. That's like I, a great uh, story, Logan. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's... Um, it. The, this chapter came at a very timely point in my life, as I was telling you before the call, because I was, I think, not taking time to pet the cat, to enjoy nature, to have perspective. I was losing some of those things. So it, it you know, we had, I had mentioned up top that it took us a year and a half to read the book and not that I think that it was intentional that it happened this way or whatnot, but I, I am thankful that I read that chapter when I did, because I know personally it was just a nice reminder. And th this chapter is not nearly as difficult to read as some of the other ones. So it was just more of a nice, refreshing kind of way to end the book. We often need those. I like I like what you said. It's the summary of a chapter, you could say, is like, just remember, it's the pr perspective really counts for a lot to the mm. point which also makes me want to ask a question back to the ecclesiastes thing so why why does solomon view life in ecclesiastes so just yeah like you're saying pessimistic and why is he viewing life as if eternity is not real but as if you just live and die. How did he forget eternity? Um, wow. I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, a couple things come to mind. The most unhelpful, but first thing that comes to mind 
is that I think there's the actual verse that says God put eternity in man's heart. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so that kind of contradicts what you're saying, but you're right. I totally understand what your question is saying. Um, it seems like he's pessimistic because he has seen and done a lot. It sounds like somewhat similar to what Solomon's life was. He gained a lot of wisdom. He had a lot of money and wealth. And he kind of, in his life, he kind of turned away from God in that wisdom and wealth, actually, which, you know, isn't wisdom anymore at that point, at least not according to um, his own writing. To Proverbs, right? Yeah. <laughs> do you think, um, or do you know if Ecclesiastes was written towards the end of Solomon's life? I think that's a, it's accredited to be. Uh... Hmm. Make the most sense. But the one thing I kind of forgot to mention when I was making the connection was, and this might not really answer your question, Patrick, but so he talks about the teacher in Ecclesiastes talks about how everything in life is fleeting, how people try to grasp these things and pleasures and goals and riches. And it's just kind of, it's all fleeting, you know, and he does mention, I wish I knew the exact phrase, but something about, well, still fear the Lord, you know, like life is fleeting, but you still need to fear the Lord. And before he kind of comes to the fear of the Lord, I think he says life is fleeting, but Hey, slow down and enjoy it. Like probably talking about Ecclesiastes 11, nine. No, right. Hey, where talk at. to me, Patrick, talk to me. Yeah. He's that's, you're exactly right. He's saying life is this. So while you're young, enjoy it. So he even literally, depending on the translation, literally says, follow the desires of your heart or the desires of your eyes. But then he says exactly what you said. Just remember your spot and place like you will be judged regardless. And that that's another way that's a tie into the chapter, honestly, like perspective, remember your spot, like remember who you are, really. You're nothing, really. But that's why I love either. Yeah, that's how I loved how the Bible Project kind of put these three books together because they can kind of complement each other because Proverbs, yes, do the right thing. But Ecclesiastes in this moment is saying, hey, do the right thing. Hey, enjoy it because life is hard and it's suffering. And if you're having a good day, please make sure you slow down and enjoy that day. You know, and I think there's even it even talks about how even if you're suffering, you're still alive. So mm. try to find presence in that or, or something like that, which could be patronizing to someone who's really suffering. But, um, oh, Patrick, I love how you went directly to knowing where it says that. <laughs> Used to read it often. So <laughs> I forgot to say yeah. this earlier, too, but that whole Bible project piece or story that you're talking about is really cool it excites the creative part of me you know the personification of these different books of the bible i think that's a really cool project that they did yeah bible project's awesome they do a great job oh great job so patrick could i ask you a question about specifically and i'm not trying to single pat out but i know you have something to say Ecclesiastes is kind of depressing, and Peterson's last chapter, in a way, is pretty depressing, too, because he's highlighting suffering, and maybe, especially Ecclesiastes, the fleetingness of life. Um, Do you walk away depressed? Do you think the writer of Ecclesiastes wanted the readers to walk away depressed? What is your take on that? Mm, That's a very good question. Dang, you know, kind I, I definitely want to say yes and no, because it it's just that yin and yang answer again. Because it reminds me also of James. Uh, James says, I think it's James at least. Um, says like you know you should be mourning. It's better to be in the house of sadness than it is to be in the house of feasting and all these things and. 
that idea is very similar to the point Ecclesiastes is probably trying to make. And I'm not sure I should be sure probably about what he's trying to get at, but uh, without having read it too recently, I probably shouldn't give something too definitive, but uh, yeah, I mean, just, he's probably saying, yeah, you should be depressed because life sucks, but you can make it something that's not so sucky, I guess. But I think that's actually encouraging for a lot of folks. I grew up in America, so I'm speaking for the American Christianity that I experienced. Sometimes there's almost this expectation that you have to be happy. And mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes wow. did not fit, does not fit in that persona of Christianity that I'm talking about. And I think that Ecclesiastes could be encouraging to the people who are being told by their pastor, told by the Christian radio station, told by, you know, their Christian circle that you have to be happy because you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. That's just the expectation. But Ecclesiastes could encourage that person if they're really experiencing suffering or depression or, or any sort of physical ailment or mental illness. But hey, life is hard. Life stinks. You know, and they'll be like, oh, okay, someone relates to me because <laughs> I'm experiencing that. And then they can even hear the wisdom in that that's saying, enjoy it when you can enjoy it. But yes, it's hard. And please hold on to the importance of fearing the Lord. You know, and I think yeah. that those two lessons can really only be heard when you're related to, when it's related in the life is hardness lesson. Well, I think even yeah. the example of Jesus on the cross, the our suffering is not going to be near to what that was. And even on the cross, he didn't call on God to rescue him or to to save him from that fate, which is really difficult to think or really um, not difficult, but it's tough to think like if I had been in that situation, I would have probably thrown the towel in, you know, or what like, Hey, all right, this is over. Like I can't do this or whatnot, but to have all that kind of resource power, but then the journey on through the suffering, like despite of it, like, I don't know. I think it's, that's a really good example for us. I think too, of, you can have all of these great things, but sometimes you have to leave them to endure the pain and suffering to the sacrifice to make your life better or to make life better for other people around you. Yeah, I just want to make clear on our, and I know I can on all of our behalf, I can say we have found that following Jesus is meaningful. Um, and man, it's just really important to have that because life does get really hard and it can seem meaningless and futile and fleeting. And if you don't have that, like, and we've really found Jesus so meaningful. So if you, if you don't have that, it can be so hard. And I'm not, I'm not stupid. I understand other people have found so many, so much meaning in other things and other religions and other things. I understand that. But on our behalf, for Patrick Logan in Austin, we have found Jesus meaningful. And I love how you made that connection, Logan. Um, and also, last thing, Jesus kind of fills that broken archetype of Job. He was such a great, righteous man, and he still kind of faltered in his faith and his fearing the Lord. But Jesus didn't, even in all of his suffering. Hmm. Well said. Yeah, we typically think of Jesus as the son of Adam correcting or fulfilling his failures, but that's yeah. such a great way of thinking of it too, the fulfillment of Job. There's probably others too, other stories from the Old Testament that are and redeemed if, or fulfilled. If Job failed in his suffering, I will definitely fail in mine. Yeah. But Same. Jesus did not fail in his suffering. And I can live through his Holy Spirit in and through Jesus um, and have salvation in that way. Hmm. 
right on. It makes me wonder what Jesus' perspective would have been on something like Ecclesiastes, because surely he's read it, you know, being a Jew, they are very affiliated with their own writings. And also, I wonder what the people of Israel would have thought of these writings. I wonder who had access to them, too. Like, how, how beneficial would have the book of Ecclesiastes been to the common day person back then? Yeah, so... I don't know, but is it, Jesus doesn't quote anywhere from the wisdom literature. Mm-mm, I know he does anywhere. some Psalms yeah. for sure. Definitely Psalms, but that's it. Okay. Well, from the, yeah, from those. Yeah. Those are some great questions. Maybe we need to write into Tim Mackey at the Bible Project. Yeah. <laughs> on that, man, he would answer or respond, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Kind of on that note, the, when I was reading the coda, which is like the epilogue or the chapter after chapter 12, it was Peterson was just kind of going through. It was kind of a summary, but like it really reminded me of the book of Proverbs. He was just kind of things I found helpful. And this is kind of how I want to end it with just all this wisdom. Boom, boom, boom. And it wasn't like I didn't I couldn't really write notes because I was just trying to keep up with all the wisdom he was dropping. But what did you all think of the coda? I honestly, if there's anyone out there that's still listening and maybe perhaps interested in this book, I would almost recommend starting at the coda to get a yeah, an idea of what a, the book's yeah. going to be about. So that's a good point. I I agree though, Austin. I found it very insightful. I also do not have any specific notes on it. Unfortunately, I was highlighting a lot as I was going through, but it's been about. Uh, a month or so since I've read it and obviously we've talked off the podcast we've all been uh, busy lately so um, but yeah I just thought excuse me it touched on a lot of the the book in a high level but it also didn't um, use the same language necessarily like he might might phrase things a different way but then reference rule seven or rule five or rule nine or wherever that sentence or wisdom or whatnot was found. He would kind of reference it, but then like based on reading it, it it didn't seem like, Oh, it's just the same thing being regurgitated. It felt different or interesting. So um, Pat, I don't know if you felt similar similarly as well, but would love to hear some of what you were thinking. Well, from the last part, uh, I actually truthfully did not read the code at this time um, on my first reading through. So I'm, I'm trying to just draw through my very first reading of the book. And so I was just flipping through and I was like, oh, yeah, I was like this part, this part I thought was super interesting. It's the last sentence on 367. Just what shall I do to strengthen my spirit? Do not tell lies and do not do or do what you despise. And then it's like, dang. Well, once again, that reminds me of a proverb. Um, As the dog returns to his vomit, so the fool does to his stupidity. And it's like, Mm. why do we relentlessly pursue what we know, what we ought not to do, and then have the audacity to question our strength or our determination or our this or that, when we obviously make the willing choice to return to our stupidity. When you say why, my train of thought goes to the knowledge of the tree, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, and the promise of evil, and like being able to create our own world or what we want, which is like a lie, right? Mm. But we <laughs> we know that only lasts for so long, and a lie is not reality. So. That's what came to mind when you were talking about that. I love how you brought that up. Dang. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good, a lot of good stuff in it, that's for sure, in this last part. So would you guys, what are your thoughts on recommending this book to other people? Where do you land on that? Or maybe what, if if you would recommend it, who would you recommend it to? 
what what person that's going through x y and z in their life or like would find this helpful i would definitely recommend this to someone who is struggling with anxiety hmm. someone who's judgment and perspective has been clouded by what they deem to be making themselves anxious or just has their being their anxious being that de I definitely was something similar to that when I started reading that and all 12 rules with a select few that stand above others have helped me really <clears throat> tear down that part of me. Now it still exists and it's probably never going to go away, but I am slowly but surely becoming its master and it is no longer like in control. So, and I started reading this, I think when I was 22 or 23, I think 23, so now I'm 27. So four years later, I read it a couple of times. So wow. I think just in that short bit of time, you can slowly but surely develop the strength. Yeah through what he's saying. I mean, you have to practice what he's saying. It's not a one-time thing. You definitely have to practice these things to get better at them. But as you get better at them, you'll feel better. Things will become easier and all that good stuff. That is an encouraging testimony, Patrick. Excellent. I'm so glad you got into this book and you I'm glad I got you guys years read it been finally. recommending it. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many, so many good, good things. Like you can take each chapter out from the book and have a whole separate book probably on it or a booklet or something. Yeah. I want to give a bit it's of funny. Cause that's what we've kind of tried to do is take each chapter out and make a discussion at least about each chapter. And mm -hmm. some of them needed a couple, some of them we fit into one, but probably could have done a couple. Yeah. So I don't know if every book club or discussion that we do moving forward will be similar to this, but I, I thought this was the right way to do this book for sure. It was just each chapter is its own conversation or episode or what have you. Which I liked. I mean, rereading it was very good. Refinding, refinding or finding <laughs> new things. Rediscovering. And, and yeah, rediscovering. <laughs> Dang, that's you're good. That's hilarious. And getting two new perspectives as well definitely helped me learn things that were there that I just didn't see the first time. So that's oh, that's wonderful too. I see a lot of value yeah. in that as well, Pat, to the discussing it with you guys after because there are so many times where you guys would bring up something or Austin, even with today, tying in the Bible Project material yeah, that yeah. I would not have known or thought of, but then when I hear it, I, I resonate with that, or at least gives me something to think about. Iron sharpens iron, baby. Hey, uh, I am not eager to bring in kind of the political background behind Jordan Peterson and the book and the controversy, controversy he's called. But since you asked about advice, Logan, I kind of wanted to, to talk about it a little bit. Um, if I were to recommend this book to someone, I would first want to know if they've ever heard of Jordan Peterson. Um, because I know not in a huge way, but I'd say he's fairly known um, and hated amongst Democrat or liberal or left-leaning folks um, because he has been demonized in a little bit uh, of a way, maybe a lot of it for some people. Um, and I just would want, like to sit down with somebody and if they were interested or curious about or if they had like a bad idea of who he was, I would kind of want to break that down with them. Um, I also, I don't have a perfect, I don't think he's perfect either. I have things that I would criticize him for and hopefully encourage somebody who's apprehensive that way. And I could say, hey, I found so much practical, awesome wisdom still. And we all, we all need to be criticized <laughs> and we all need to be sharpened so um that's i i hope i'm not being too um hard on him or hopefully i'm not being too easy on him but that's kind of <laughs> i i think I'm, so i'll hop in here on him. i'll hop yeah. in here austin i think that you're 
you're going down the middle. You're saying, I see that there are valid um, criticisms of his work. And you might even have some of those yourself. But then you can also see there's maybe also some bandwagoning of he's he did something online or said something online that was offensive. And then people are dismissing his ideas altogether or yeah. uh, terribly mischaracterizing them, which the truth is probably neither of those extremes it's probably um or wait actually i don't remember if the first thing i said wasn't extreme now uh oh no yeah because like oh yeah so scratch what i just said uh no one's editing this either this is going straight up but so there's there's people you know that could probably really criticize him without reading his work or really love him without reading his work but you're saying as someone that has read the work it's probably somewhere in the middle where people on either side have something that they can say that is either critical or supportive. And you could see both perspectives. Yeah. And just to say a little bit about his personal life or his own life, I wish he didn't engage so much in the pushback he got, because that's kind of sucked him into this whirlwind of, trying to defend himself, I just kind of wish he, I I don't know how possible this is, but I kind of wish he didn't engage in some of those conversations because it's like, oh, those people aren't really worth talking to, Peterson. And um, now it just kind of gets you caught in this whirlwind. I don't know if that makes, makes sense. And I don't know if I'm offending Patrick, so I, <laughs> I'll stop there. No, I agree. I think that the internet's not a good place to have great discourse and the and those kind of settings. Obviously, we're on the internet having this conversation, trying to be honest and um, well intended in what we're communicating. But not everyone on the internet, especially if you're anonymous or um, or if you're on Twitter, I guess too. I've heard that that's not really a place where. Uh, you're typically trying to have a lot of good conversation and the characters are very limiting too. So that restricts your speech. And anyhow, there's, there's a whole, that's a whole other uh, trail we could go down, but um, I don't think anything you've said has been out of place or I, I feel similarly about, I wish some of the intellectuals would stay off social media a little bit more and not need to engage with people in comments and things like that, or, or post things that are, you know, um, yeah, just mean or outside of their sphere of influence and whatnot, but, or their sphere of expertise. So, um, but yeah, that was a great question, Logan. Oh, thanks. I, if it I guess to answer my own I question, like too, I, I would recommend it to... I think the book definitely resonates strongly with male, but I don't think there's a... You could be either gender and get something from it. But I also think I would have recommended this book to like a younger me, maybe like 18 to 22, kind of almost Pat's age when he read it for the first time. Because I think it would have helped in my coming out of my parents' house and like into the world kind of forming um, valuable ideas and insights about the world, about suffering, about, you know, different, different ideas and concepts about what it is to, to be a part of this world and to find meaning in it I think that would have been really helpful for me um and I do I I would recommend this book if somebody asked me what I thought of it I would recommend it to them and I do think it's worth reading but I also think you have to really commit to it so you have to want to get something out of it to and I know that obviously I'm not I wasn't that way for every chapter or every page but there are there were certain things that I read that I really leaned into and I did get something out of. But um, yeah, I don't know if I would have a specific 
age group, but or demographic or what have you, but I just think young men in particular would find something valuable in here. Um, Good point. Yeah. I definitely wish I would have had this at 18 too. That would have been very nice. The problem with us at 18 though, or at least myself would be, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to grow up. I don't want to go. I would have made too many excuses, but I needed to read it at uh, 18 for sure. For sure. But Anyhow, guys. Uh, big facts. We're wrapping it up here on this discussion. Did you have any final thoughts on the book or on anything else? Or maybe things you wanted to revisit? Wisdom is so important. And you could be like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, we need wisdom. But, like, slow down. Like, we need the wisdom of our elders, the wisdom of those who've gone before us, and even the wisdom of dead authors. Um, it's important. And, I, and I've seen much wisdom in Peterson's writings and podcasts. And just in all of our lives, we do need to be seeking um, the people with wisdom in our life. Well said. Completely agree. Yeah. Of all the discussions we've had, some, for whatever reason it is, when I think back on them, I always think of the yin and yang symbol. Oh. And I, I think we've mentioned it probably every podcast or every other at least. And it's just interesting how often it, it's reoccurred and how often it reoccurs in my mind. So that's just something to leave with. It's how such a great paradigm. It is. Yeah, it really it, it, is. It's lasted through Eastern philosophy and religion for so long. You know, it's, it's stood the test of time for sure. Which probably means it's universal. Yeah. Yeah. The it chaos and order. Yeah. yeah. Man. Well, I think that's a, a great note to end on, fellas. And yeah, I just want to thank you both again so much for joining me for this and 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 doing this. It's it's not the end. We're, we got another book coming. We just gotta make that. <laughs> Austin's excited off on camera here. Um, oh heck yeah! Yeah, we will uh, be sure to stay in in touch with you the audience about any updates or next steps for books and and what have you and thank you all for tuning in and being on this ride with us thank you for tuning into this week's book club discussion please let us know if you have any suggestions as to books we should read or topics we should discuss by contacting us at beingbecomingpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com we hope you join us next time for another conversation